When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. My name is Mac, and thanks for coming back for the newest episode. Um, I want to extend a thank you to everybody who has been reaching out to me over the last about two weeks uh, regarding my initial trial for my restraining order um, and giving me advice uh, just about keeping my head up. Um, I did want to let you guys know, I posted last night um, that finally, after 59 days... I finally got to see my kids this morning. Um, I've not seen them in 59 days uh, because the restraining order did involve them. Um, but I finally got to see them this morning. And uh, I'm very emotional right now. I just got in about 20 minutes ago and thought I'd hop on the podcast and, and give you guys an update. But um, yeah, it was emotional. So uh, the judge ordered that I am allowed to see my children um, at the local YMCA. Um I say local, but it's not in my town. It's not in my ex's town. It's uh, mutual territory. Um, and it's not exactly in the greatest area. <laughs> I'll say that. Um, so I got to this YMCA and uh, I walked in and um, they brought me to a, a room. And the room has a big uh, bulletin board, like a chalkboard that says, Welcome to Supervised Visits. And. Um, so it's a room filled with toys and blocks and a basketball hoop and stuff like that. And um, I had two people there who were there to supervise me, a man and a woman. Um, and they were actually very sweet. They were very nice. And I talked to them beforehand and I said, like, this is literally, I feel like I'm in a dream right now. I can't believe I'm, I'm here. This is so unnecessary. Um, and, and the lie that my ex is perpetuating that I'm dangerous and I, you know, supervised visits is necessary is just so disturbing. But, um, so I was just talking with the two supervisors before they came in and, uh, I only have an hour long visit every week from 9am to 10am on Saturday mornings. So I was standing there and I was talking to one of the supervisors and I heard my kids crying. So I knew that they were walking through the door and they walked through the door carrying their book bags and they're both hysterically crying, but when they see me, they start smiling and laughing. 
and they're smiling while they're crying. And just as I mentioned on prior podcasts, um, it's because my next has clearly filled their head with that they can't be away from her. I'm sure before she dropped them off, she did this whole, I'm, I'm going to miss you. And, you know, I'm going to, I can't wait to see you again. And, um, you know, we're going to have so much fun. And, and my kids told me that, you know, um, they're going to get toys when they leave. Um, so, you know, she, she was certainly trying to make them feel like they couldn't be without her. And uh, so they walked in. And I just hugged and I kissed them and I was just so happy to see them. And of course I cried. Um, it was very, very hard. Um, hard to see them. I know that might sound maybe counterintuitive, but it was hard to see them uh, because we don't belong in this place. We, uh, we belong out having fun and enjoying ourselves like we, like we normally do. And uh, I can't believe we're, we're having these regulations on us. It's, it's bonkers. But um so, you know, I just talked with the kids and I said, how's school? And I said, hey, I said to my daughter, I said, um, something very important happened while daddy was away. And they said, what? And I said, did somebody have a birthday? And my daughter said, yes, I did. I said, how old are you? And she said, four. I said, oh my God, well, happy fourth birthday. And I said, I got you some presents. So I got um, my daughter three Barbie dolls and um, like a Disney playset with like six different dolls and I got her a unicorn and then um because I work in New York and my kids love New York too I bought them both signs with their names on it uh that say you know their names and the street you know like a, a street sign of New York with their names on it so uh you know I thought that was cool like personalized name signs um and I also I gave my son it's funny uh it was a message of course but I bought my son a toy snake that will crawl on the floor so he can take that home to my next asshole. So anyway, um, yeah, and and an hour flew by um, really quickly. And we played basketball and we built blocks and they had like farm toys. We made like farm animals and dinosaurs and stuff like that. And uh, they had Dunkin' Donuts munchkins there. So we had that and Rice Krispie treats and gummies and stuff. And, um, you know, it was hard. It was, it was hard. And, you know, I, I really wanted that hour to be the slowest hour of my life. And it was actually very, very fast. Um, so yeah, it was hard. Um, but anyway, uh, one of the things that my kids said is that as soon as they leave here, they're going to fireman John's house, um, to go play with his kids. So clearly, um, you know, my, my next is completely integrated, uh, his family with her family and, or our kids and, um, you know, it's funny. I, I, so after this was over, I, I was on the phone with my sister and I told her, I said, I have a recording from when I was still in the home. And I said to my next and the recording, I said, you will have me replaced within six months of me leaving the home because you can't be alone. And, you know, this podcast being a snapshot of my life, um, I'm going to go on record and say, maybe during the divorce, Maybe when it's after divorce, but within six months to a year of now, my next will either get married again or be pregnant. And I'm going to put that in almost like a time capsule for myself to see how this grows, because um, pretty much 99% of the things that I've like hypothesized on this podcast or just in my own head come to light and they do come true. And uh, I'm putting that on record 
that she will either get married or be pregnant again within six to 12 months. And I'll be talking about it on this podcast. Um, so yeah, my kids have been fully integrated into fireman John's life. And, uh, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm missing a lot of time with my kids. So, you know, they were happy to see me that the crying didn't last too long from when they showed up. And, um, as soon as they got their presents and stuff, you know, they were happy and, you know, my next has gaslighted me into believing that the only reason my kids are happy to see me is because I have presents for them, which I know isn't true, but it's, it's just so hard anyway. Um, and then, uh, you know, the hour was over and, uh, we, we took a nice picture to, you know, commemorate the reunion and, um, I gave them big hugs and kisses and I said, I'll see you next week. And they walked out and uh, I just wept like a baby. And, you know, the supervisors just, just sat there and they're like, it's going to be okay. You know, they, 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 I'm sure they're, they're familiar with this, but they also said, you know, not a lot of men fall to pieces like you are right now. And it's not a sign of weakness. It just, it really shows you love your kids. You know, it really shows that you love your kids. I mean, I was, I was beside myself crying, 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 crying. And I'm right now, as I'm telling this story, I'm super tired right now. But I got to see them. I got to see them for the first time in 59 days, and I'll see them next week. Um, my next court date is a month away, so uh, I'm I'm preparing my evidence in my mind for that. And uh, man, I, I I really feel like I got her. I'm I'm confident in it. So yeah, that's the story. I just want to let you guys know. Um, however, I do have a guest this week. And my guest this week is actually really cool. Um, I'll save the introduction for the part of the interview, um, but I really think you guys are going to enjoy this. And uh, yeah, check it out. All right, everybody, welcome back into a brand new episode of Dimming the Gaslight. So this is a really cool one. I'm here with Vanessa Riser. Vanessa, say hi to everybody. Hi. So uh, Vanessa has a really cool story. So a lot of you guys follow uh, both of us actually on Instagram. And one of my listeners, I'll give give her a shout out, uh, a page you should follow is called Nope to Narcissism. And Nope to Narcissism actually messaged me and said, hey, I'm coming to New Jersey from out of state to come watch Vanessa run from like Trenton to the Jersey Shore in a wedding dress for narcissistic abuse awareness and i was like wait what <laughs> and i was like completely blindsided by this thing and she goes i'd love to meet you down there and you can meet up with vanessa and you guys you know you could pick her brain and i was like this sounds really crazy so what i did is i threw on my suit that i got married in and i headed down to meet vanessa in a wedding dress running i don't know how many miles was it vanessa i think it was 55 Holy shit. So she ran 55 miles. And I'll tell you too, it was like a torrential downpour where this girl was just a warrior running through the rain. So it was super cool. And then there was a whole bunch of people there to support her. Um, so I got to interact with Vanessa a little bit and she was super gracious and, you know, letting us come into her home and, uh, you know, get to pick her brain a little bit. And I asked her to be on the podcast. So here she is. So thanks so much for doing this with us. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she's got just like a cool story. So um, I don't know necessarily where to start. Do you want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, your personal circumstances with uh, narcissism? Sure. So I was in a relationship that was abusive and I extricated myself from that relationship. Mm -hmm. I fled, as many do. And um, while the relationship itself was uh, totally traumatizing. The post-separation abuse was also next level. That's where it really kind of got 
wonky. Things were um, done to me in the judicial system that I hear from my clients um, that really traumatizes them even further. I am a psychotherapist, so I specialize in narcissistic abuse. I'm licensed in the states of New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, and Florida. So I hear a lot of crazy stories, but um, I did go through it myself, which I think helps to my clients to feel validated. Yeah. 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 I should have uh, mentioned that in the beginning. So also, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your teletherapist brand? Yeah. So um, you can check me out at tell, T-E-L-L, atherapist.net. Um, I have clinicians that work under me. Um, trying to build out my practice right now because we have so many people in need. Um, but I am licensed in the four states. I specialize in narcissistic abuse. And because I've gone through it, I think people really appreciate um, kind of my insight um, and my own personal um, sort of life coachy vibe that I give them because I think the narcissist is allergic to power. So I try to empower my clients as much as I can and, and empower myself. And that's why I ran because it was sort of checking a lot of boxes. It was for my own healing, but also to um, kind of be the voice for those silent victims. I love that. I love how you said they're allergic to you finding yourself. You know, once you empower yourself and you can start being a think for yourself, or that's the most empower, empowering thing for what we call, I guess, empaths or victims or whatever we're going to call ourselves. Um, can you tell us a little bit, what was the symbolism behind the wedding dress? So I ran across the entire state of New York last year, which was 285 miles in a wedding dress. Holy shit. To raise awareness for narcissistic abuse. And the symbol, um, the wedding dress is a symbol of something that the narcissist sometimes exploits. So it's this fantastical future faking event, you know, the wedding, the picket fence, the baby, the job, the career, the opportunities, you know, the narcissistic parent always future fakes. They It tends to be something that they do um, that's very manipulative. We see this in cults quite a bit. You know, the cult leader is telling you that, you're going to be some kind of a prophet and you're going to be this enlightened creature. And blah, blah, blah. You, you had a great post about that on Instagram today. I think you posted that about how we were in a cult for all intents and purposes. We were in a one person cult. And once, as you mentioned before, you start thinking for yourself, that's when it starts like you break that trauma bond up a little bit and you be like, wait, no, I can do this on my own. Yeah. And I think it's important for people also to understand that, I was a therapist before this happened to me. So anybody, and I told, I'm a wickedly independent thinker and I fell for the bullshit too. So there's no reason to throw yourself on the sword. Um, we never victim blame. There's no reason to feel like you did anything wrong. You just got caught up in a deviant web. Um, but we do see that kind of like, um, if you think about it, if you were in a narcissistically abusive relationship, they are always um, manipulative and controlling um, and will almost seem like a guru of sorts in that <laughs> cult of one. So when you're looking back and you kind of get those like like those awarenesses or in the, if you're going through it and you're just paying attention to red flags, that's a red flag. Superficial charm is a huge red flag. If somebody is like inauthentic or fake or 
um, I remember I had a boyfriend when I was younger and he used to brag. He'd say, my father never left his bedroom without a three-piece suit on. I'm like, what is he, a psychopath? Like, that's not how real. I'm not impressed. Yeah, right. But like that kind of stuff, that nonsense is very, is, is a red flag. All of that bullshit. Anytime that you're seeing, like, if things look like they're too good to be true, they are. Well, because because with a narcissist, image is everything. So if he's not leaving with a three-piece suit on, that's like the equivalent of being like, you know, a woman saying, I don't leave the house without a ball gown on. It's like, there's something fucking wrong with you then. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's how people... And yeah, it was a, he was being a braggart in that moment. By the way, I I have now subsequently decided that he himself was a narcissist all of those years ago. You kind of do that too. Like I remember I had these brilliant love affairs with real people. Like my son's father is not a narcissist. And there were certain, you know, relationships that I had where they were definitely authentic people. But then there were, it's funny because you go through and you're like, oh, there was a couple more. Holy shit. And there were. But you want to know what, though? And I've mentioned this many, many times on the podcast. Like, I'm super cognizant of not going around and saying, you're a narcissist and you're a narcissist and you're a narcissist. And and I don't want to be like that. You know what I mean? Because, like, at a certain point, I do have to look at myself and say, like, what got me here? You know what I'm saying? Like, what got me in this predicament where I'm around so many narcissists? And I don't like, I never liked, you know, ever since I, I started this whole journey, I never liked the idea that I attract narcissists. That's really hard for me to accept. But for the same token, that too, I don't want to go around going, you're a narcissist, you're a narcissist, you're a narcissist. Um, Can you go back, though? I want to hear a little bit more about how you said, even though, you know, you have a degree in psychology, you still fell for this shit. And like, I think so many listeners out there are going to say like, oh, my God, I can't believe I fell for all this shit. What was it like when you were like, oh, my God, like the walls are closing in on you and you're like, I'm in this situation. Yeah, I went to USC, which is a formidable institution. Oh, yeah. And I got my master's in social work and I started working at an outpatient clinic. And then I met this fool and I (laughs) didn't, you know, I didn't know because we really didn't do too much work on personality disorders. And the person who told me what he was was one of his exes. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, I'm really glad that you're there. But he's a narcissist. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I remember like the world like spinning on its axis, not because I knew what it was because I didn't. I knew one thing, though, I must have picked up along the way that they had no empathy. And that was enough Mm -hmm. for me to leave. That was when I left. It was that day. I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Because to me, the idea of having no empathy is actually very, very scary. I just think the concept alone is like. Just why that doesn't scare people to the core, I have no idea. Because what does that mean? It means like, so like you could what, murder? Or if someone were murdered in front of you, you would what, not experience? Like like a dog getting hit by a car or someone beating a dog to death? You're like, so this doesn't register? Like that alone, I'm already like, what are you talking yeah. about? It's so it, scary. It, nobody, nobody can see us right now, but I just shrugged and was like, well, what's for dinner? You know what I mean? Like, right. what the fuck is wrong with these people? And then like, so I remember the same sort of thing. And so I, I mentioned many times on this podcast, like, so I love a band that's called the Gaslight Anthem, right? And that's, it's a rock band and that's how I came across gaslighting. And when I did the research about gaslighting, I guess I was just lazy or I was stupid or I don't know what it was, but I never came across narcissism. And then one day I came home and she gaslit me after like a series of events. And I go, that was gaslighting, that was gaslighting. And I come home and I Google gaslighting and I start reading about narcissism and I'm going, 
holy shit. And I, I remember she was upstairs. I was downstairs. I walked upstairs and I stood like 10 feet away from her and I said nothing with my hands in my pockets and just looked at her and I go, I'm like living with a serial killer. You know what I mean? Like, holy fuck. And it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, I just want to make a shout out to my one of my best friends, Lauren, because she loves the Gaslight Anthem. If I didn't say that right now, she'd be mad at me if she listens to this podcast. I went there two weeks ago. Yeah, I saw him two weeks ago. So, hi, Lauren. Shout out to Lauren. Um, hey, Lauren. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that when you have that realization, it's um, it's really scary. It feels like you're going through a portal. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just saw jesus christ or ufo or something you're like what does this all mean and then it takes quite a while to process that everything was a lie so then when did you begin like truly educating yourself on narcissism and gaslighting and future faking and trauma bonding and all that kind of stuff how did that all come together for you well it was the day i left and i went to my i had to go stay with my mother which was going like from the frying pan to the fire which is really really scary um my girlfriend helped me leave she helped me pack up my uh car he bleached all my clothing spit on me called me a fat whore told me that my father was a loser my father died when i was 18 years old i'm 49 years old and by the way i had only ever seen this side of him one other time when he left me in cape cod um the year prior but it was interesting because he wasn't generally like that it was it was as if like he were actually two different people one who was really really kind and kind of odd um and then this happening so that was also a gift in some ways because then it was like oh shit okay mm-hmm. um that's what this looks like and then when i started to you know kind of lick my wounds I began to go on TikTok and I began to see what it was so I learned what a narcissist was on TikTok and then through the Netflix shows and everything um and then connecting with others in the space like Dr. Romani um and seeing other victims and learn even from my clients I learn every single fucking day and it's it's kind of a collaboration because we as therapists are not really at a place where we are doing enough to study and also develop curriculum and credentialing for this. I mean, Sandra Brown is doing a lot of really important work with continuing ed credits for people in this space. Um, A lot of people have no idea what they're doing. I've taken some classes on narcissism and, you know, the instructor who is a PhD is like, those silly narcissists, we used to have a group and they still send me Christmas cards. I'm like, bitch, this is a fucking psychopath. This is like for death. I don't know what you're talking about. But like Sandra Brown is doing some important work and she really is developing some credentialing for clinicians so they can go out and speak on trauma and the rest, which is so important. Um, we're sort of like, we're, we're new, we're a little green. So we're all kind of learning and collaborating together. Well, the cool thing is too, as I'm listening to you too, it's like the narcissist on the surface is so just for lack of a pretty word, just so shiny, you know what I mean? And like, they're just so shiny and like, you know, you're the first person I'm telling this to, but I've been calling for parental rights advocates all day and I'm being framed for domestic violence. And no one wants to support me. No one will support a defendant. They will only support a plaintiff. And I'm saying, like, now I have all this evidence. I have pictures and everything. I have audio recordings, pictures, videos, everything. And they said they'll only support a, support a uh, plaintiff. So I'm sitting here going, like, 
it's just because they have this such shiny thing. And and two, like, it's such a buzzword these days about narcissism and gaslighting. It's like, oh, fucking get over it. Like, everybody's ex is a, is a narcissist. But, like, there's some really traumatic stories out there. Like, it's crazy. And I'm sure you've heard them, too. It's also really hard to be a man in the space and say, you know, I was victimized by a woman because... Um, while it does happen, it's it's not the commonplace, probably because of patriarchy and misogyny that is kind of built into the system, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's probably really hard. I happen to see a lot of daughters of narcissists, mm-hmm. um, the narcissistic mother in my practice. I also have theories around some of the family members of my um, experience that I saw that I was like, Oh, yeah. In retrospect, I really began to see it was like a pack of snakes, that entire experience. So I definitely have an understanding of what the female narcissist looks like, how she behaves. I think there are subtle, nuanced differences, but again, very different because I have I have a male victim of a female narcissist in my practice and he describes her as not very shiny and kind and way more overt. So they have different Mm -hmm. manifestations. So this one in in this situation is very unkind to the wait staff. She's just a fucking bitch. She gets out of a cab. She never says thank you. She tells everybody what to do. You can't have it. So she's more overt, which is, um, you, we will see that like you, this is somebody who's just like a, just a rage malignant narcissist. Well, she's more overt. The covert is the one who's really, you know, sort of, um, you know, almost like if you're putting lipstick on a pig, like she's just kind of like really kind and maybe philanthropic. And, you know, she's with the Yeah. But she's behind the scenes. She's creating chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going back and thank you for for your sympathy for the male victims, too, because there's a lot of males who listen to this, too. Um, Something that was super, super important that I wanted to touch on on this podcast, and and I was really thankful that you told me about this. Can we talk about the quote unquote protection video that you instructed me to make? And before we get into this, just so you know, my friends think I'm fucking crazy that I sent this to my friends, my therapist, my father. Um, I sent this to a whole bunch of people, but Listen to what Vanessa has to say about this protection video, because I think this is absolute gold. And if this is if if your situation necessitates this, you know, you're, you've got issues. So go ahead. Yeah. yeah. So um, oftentimes we see overlaps between the narcissist, the sociopath and the psychopath, which means that, again, sans empathy, no empathy. So they can be really dangerous. So this is somebody that may, you know, slash your tires or throw a brick through your window or stalk you or harm you or your children or your pets. Um, And I began to realize that the more I was going to be um, voicing my experience or speaking out against this, that I was putting myself in harm's way and the stakes seemed to be higher. So I wanted to kind of think like, how could I protect myself and let everybody know, you know, that A, I'm not suicidal um b that i'm an excellent swimmer as a two-time ironman uh c that i am a great driver i know how to drive a stick shift without the clutch i have since i was a teenager Mm -hmm. kind of like the irish catholic like let always land on my feet gritty little ragamuffin kid there's really a i it's hard to take someone like me down i'm extremely tough um and it was like one of those things where i really wanted to say it out loud so that 
if something should happen to me, like if I were found in the water, it's not because I can't swim. Or if I was found in a car accident, someone ran me off the road or, um, you know, I don't do drugs. I never have. Um, I like my wine. Don't get me wrong. But like, uh, you know what I mean? So if I overdose on some crazy, you know, hardcore narcotic, I was drugged. And I kind of made this video and I sent it to my attorney and my friends so as to insulate and make sure that, you know, if any if anything were to happen to me. And then I started to think people need to make these videos. And actually, Tina Swithin recently did a post and she did in quotes, I'm not suicidal. So even if I you saw just, that, I saw that. Yeah, just tell your friends you're not suicidal, write it down, make a video of yourself that you're not suicidal, because I began to think, like, how many people um, you know, d were murdered and they got, and there was like a note left and like, what do you mean? Like who wrote yeah. this? Note? Right. And then they got to, you know, then it turns into fucking forensic files. Yeah. So Vanessa gave me that advice and I did, I made that video. So I said, I didn't say the no drugs thing. And now I'm thinking I should go back and redo it again. But so I was, I was thinking, so I did that. Yeah. And I, I'm an excellent swimmer. I too can drive without a clutch. I had, you know, my first car ever was a stick. Um, you know, it's funny. So my ex, her father is an avid hunter. And I swear to God, like, so I work in Manhattan, but I live in New Jersey. And when I'm in New Jersey and I'm not in a crowded space, I like look over my shoulder that I'm going to get like sniped out. Like I'm scared. I'm legitimately scared because she will go to any lengths to hurt me. I mean, she'll take my kids away. She will take my money away. She will make sure I'm homeless. I was homeless. So like, this video potentially, and when at first when Vanessa was telling me, I was like, Jesus Christ, this is extreme. But I'm like, no, my situation warrants this. And I was like, holy shit, it's intense. Yeah, I think, you know, I have clients that tell me that their children are poisoning them. Um, we see this now a lot on these Netflix shows where the psychopath, like, um, Bill Cosby was poisoning, you know, I don't know, over 60 women as a serial rapist. You know, this sort of Dahmer was poisoning people, um, whatever it's called, Halicion or whatever that sleeping drug was. Um, but it's easy enough to be roofied. Um, it's easy enough to um, be victimized. And we see this as a tactic for people who have a level of psychopathy a lot. We see this a lot. Terrifying. It's terrifying. Well, so speaking of, uh, so you were just mentioning like Netflix specials and stuff like that. So when I was visiting her for her run, um, unbeknownst to me, there were cameras there. And I was saying, what is this going on? And they were shooting an HBO documentary. Can you tell us a little bit about this documentary that they're shooting that you're involved in? Well, it's a documentary that I believe they're pitching to HBO and Netflix and others. So we don't know yet if it's HBO, but it's a documentary that's going to be pitched to some of the heavier networks. Um, I know that the person who's working on the documentary is um, Mark from Mark Vicente from the Nexium Cult and The Vow, which was an HBO Max mm -hmm. um, documentary. So that's where sort of that concept came from. But we don't know where it's going to land yet. Um, but they are doing a, a brilliant, brilliant documentary or series. Again, not sure yet how it's going to land, but. This pitch is um, kind of fusing the concepts of cult recovery and narcissistic abuse, which is magic because mm -hmm. he was in a cult. A, a lot of the people that are being um, filmed for the 
documentary are um, dealing in the narcissistic abuse space, like Dr. Romani and myself. And so that has been a great, um, like he's leading the charge in terms of using those concepts, which I think is really going to be transformative for not only people who've gone through it, but also their families, judges, therapists, so they can really understand that this is about mind control. Um, and it's very, very validating um, for myself. And so it must be for others to imagine um, that that kind of cult experience is exactly what this is. If you look at a cult leader, the cult leader is always a narcissist, a sociopath or a psychopath every single time. It's the exact same scenario. There are some variations. Again, like if you had a narcissistic parent, there'd be some nuanced differences. Um, but generally, very, very generally, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. That was really cool. And then when I was down there, I, I got to see like the trailer and stuff. And uh, wh- so what's your involvement in that? So they are um, considering me an expert <laughs> in the field as a clinician who understands. You're surely an expert. Look at you. You're yeah. surely an expert. You know everything there is to know. Firsthand experience, for Christ's <laughs> sakes. Yeah, I guess, you know, that with the credentialing um you know, because this is my work, but also as an advocate on a macro scale with my run. So I think that really got me, got people to pay attention to me because I wasn't fucking around. I ran 285 miles, I mean, mm-hmm. in a running dress. And so I was dead serious about this cause. And I still am. It's I'm very passionate about the silent victims. I'm very passionate about how the judicial system needs to understand that psychological abuse. You don't have to be hit to be in an abusive relationship. No. And I really wish like, you know, um, psychological abuse and coercive control and those kind of laws were coming more to the forefront when it comes to court cases, because now, um, well, so I'm pro se because I, she sent me over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Uh, actually this weekend will be one year since I left my home. Um, and she, she sent me over, sent me into $100,000 of debt. Now, I never had debt before. I had like an 800 credit score. I had, you know, American Express gold and platinum cards and stuff like that. Never had debt until now. And now I'm in a one bedroom apartment while she's got my half a million dollar house. But the thing is, too, is that it's just like I was saying before, it's such a buzzword that like, um, but like everybody now has a narcissist in their life. So like, awareness is the biggest key and and you touched on it before too when it comes to social media that's really what brought it out for me and then I started reading books like stop walking on eggshells and stuff like that and psychopath free and stuff like that and then um yeah it's just the education is just wild and now everybody like you know I have a podcast you have you know your platform and like people are just coming out of the woodwork to share their stories and it's like when you were in it you thought you were the only person in the entire world yeah, but I think um, I remember reflecting back on I had some really, really brilliant love affairs. I have my son's father is not a narcissist and we have co-parented in an amazing way. But I did. I remember reflecting and there were others. This was not an isolated thing. And there was one when I was younger where his ex-wife told me that he killed her cat. And at the time, I remember thinking, bitch, you're crazy. You didn't kill your cat because I didn't know. And she probably everyone she told that to probably thought she was crazy. And now do it. How did he do it? um, I think he poisoned the cat. Yeah. And and she was telling me this, but this was very long time ago. We're talking about 2008 or something like that. And I remember when I would bring my dog over, he would like barricade the door 
with like a chair. And there was one time where my dog made a noise when he was petting her and she never made that noise before or after that. She kind of like winced like, and I remember I called my friends at the time and I was like, what is that? And they're like, I don't know. It seems really strange. But like when I think back, there were more than I thought. And so I, while people think it's a buzzword, I think there's more than you think around you. I think there's more narcissists. Listen, I'm, I lock my doors and I got security. Now I was very naive and I'm very, very liberal minded. I don't want to get a gun. Like, you know what I mean? I, I think differently. I really do. I think there are more than we think. Are you familiar with uh, Chelsea Brooke Hole? No. I had her on this podcast. She's a therapist out of, I believe in Canada. And she was saying like, so just think if like, say, conservatively, maybe one in five people are narcissistic, right? And then they affect five people in their life. Think of the multi-millions, if not billions of people who have been affected by narcissism. Dr. Romani, and and I agree with her, I think thinks that it's more. We've recently sort of been thinking that it's more. So I would say I've definitely been with three. Um, and I've had clients that have had more than that. So I'm just thinking in terms of saturation, I bet you that it's not as much a buzzword as it is more common. And so yours were all romantically? Um, yes, I think that I do know of narcissistic women mm-hmm. and even and even NPD direct, like not even just narcissistic because we all have narcissistic tendencies. But this one is definitely and this one, her whole language is passive aggressive. So she's the type of person where she's just like, you know, she knows that, let's say you're having trouble with your lawn or something and she'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, I notice, um, you know, it hasn't been raining a lot lately. How's your yard? Like, even though that's like yeah, yeah. a very benign example, because I just pulled that directly out of my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The idea is like they're just speaking in tongues of passive aggression all. It's like, I mean, it's and, you know, and but very lovingly says so like stab you in the back while they're fucking like this kind of shit. So I, I know of one that definitely is, and she's very beautiful and she's very dangerous and she's very credentialed and she's very rich. So, so yeah, kind of like malignant. So let me ask you this, right? So like, let's say you had a friend who was in a relationship with a narcissist, right? And you can see, so let's say you had your, your friends, the male, and you witnessed this woman's being a narcissist. How would you approach that situation with the male or it doesn't matter gender, but you know what I'm trying to ask you, right? I would probably um, go through what the red flags are. And I probably would have a very long discussion around how to handle communication skills. Narcissists tend to show themselves if you put up boundaries and kind of push and ask questions. Mm -hmm. And they they don't do a good job of communicating um, what they're experiencing so you'd have to really kind of press um and i do that you know in my own personal life now like i'll ask a lot of questions and if people are like defensive i get i'm kind of like well what what is the problem you know because i i tend to be um inquisitive by by my nature anyway so i don't see anything wrong with asking questions and i'm an open book so people can ask it it seems like almost to me almost like like a addict you know what i mean like people can't really get help unless they admit that they have a problem so like you usually can see the victim of narcissistic abuse is pretty uncomfortable you know what i mean or like they might seem irritable or just fed the fuck up 
And, you know, they probably know the, those red flags, but maybe if you brought it to their attention and then said, like, you know, dude, is this happen or tell me about this and tell me about this. And maybe the more they divulge, maybe the more they can come to their own conclusions. Well, generally, like Mark taught me this from the Nexium cult. He said that when you're trying to extricate someone from a cult, it's extremely difficult because they are addicted and they're being kind of brainwashed or groomed. So the magic is to describe to them that they are who they are, like reminding them. So if they were somebody who used to do artwork or if they were somebody who used to have this hobby, kind of really getting them alone and then celebrating that part of them so they can be reminded of who they are. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so many times from so many people I talk to is like, we lose our identity. Like me, for example, it's such a small, trivial thing, but like, you know, on Sundays I watch football, right? Like I like to watch football and boy, did I get fucking murdered if I sat down for three hours to watch a Giants game. You know, like if I did anything I enjoy, oh, it's all about Mac. It's all about Mac, whatever Mac wants. But meanwhile, I just cut the lawn. I just, you know, hung out with the kids. I just took them to the park. I did everything. Like, let me have these three hours. And it's funny because like, from what I'm listening to what you're saying, it's almost like, no, it's okay to be you. You know what I mean? It's okay to be you. It's okay to like what you like in spite of what, you know, whatever, you know, degrading they want to do to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have to remind people um, of who they are. Um, and you have to remind yourself of who you are in your life. And that's how the boundaries develop. So you begin to listen to yourself and do what you want to do and kind of live as long as you're not hurting anybody. Yeah. How about, I mean, and I know this is more of like a touchy subject, but how about when it comes to like violence? How do you like in, enlighten somebody when it comes to violence, when they feel like, you know, I mean, I'm in a domestic abuse situation, but you know, I have the kids and I have the house and I have the money and I can't see how I'm going to leave this. I mean, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but that's just yeah, I think my brain. When it- when it comes to violence, I sort of have a, like a zero tolerance policy because now when we're talking about safety issues, um, I'm a mandated reporter. So anytime I hear of anybody in a violent situation, I would probably coach them on a safety plan and getting like a safety bag, you know, getting photocopies of important documents, clothing, um, medications, taxes, um, toiletries, everything sort of um, at the ready. Like, and I think sometimes when you talk to people about a safety plan or a safety bag, for some reason, if they're not already taking it seriously, they might begin to do so, which is enough, right? So then like, wait a minute, what is a safety bag? Does this person think I'm with an abuser? And it's like, yeah, I do. Like, You're, you're triggering the hell out of me. So during my court motion, my ex said that she packed a safety bag to be safe from me. What she didn't know is I was recording her. So when she said she packed a safety bag, what she was actually doing is she was telling me, you have to leave. And I was like, she's like, you need to go to the store store and go get strawberries. And I'm saying, why? We have grapes, we have apples, we have oranges, we have milk, we have chicken, we have whatever the kids need, they have. And she's like, well, we don't have strawberries. I'm like, well, give them something else. And she's like, well, then I'll go to the store and get strawberries. She spent like 45 minutes getting me to leave to go get strawberries, right? And then ultimately she goes, no, I'll leave and I'll go get strawberries. She took the kids and left and the police came to my house and said that there was a restraining order on me. What she didn't know is I recorded that entire conversation. But in the court motion, she comes up with this whole elaborate thing about how she packed a safety bag to be safe for me and stored it at the neighbor's house. And this is how she left. And 
I was able to prove in court that that's a lie. Not only is that a lie, but like you're, you're fabricating evidence inside of a courtroom. And, um, you know, it's just the length that they'll go to, to, to lie about every little thing. My God. But yeah, I'm sorry. You just, you said that, uh, safety bag thing. And I'm like, fuck, it's such a lie. Yeah. And it's so, it's, it's so messed up too, because there's real victims of domestic abuse out there. You know what I mean? There's real women who need this help and need to, to pack a bag and need to get away from their abuser. And here mine is, is perpetrating this lie. Yeah, that's really unfortunate because to your point, there are so many people that are dealing with um, dangerous individuals. Yeah, very, very I was in the, my last uh, court hearing because I have a current TRO on me. And in my last court hearing, you know, I went in, they have no evidence on me, whatever. And then the next couple comes up and the woman's covered in bruises. And I'm sitting there going, what am I doing here? I can't believe this is my life. Yeah, it's messed up. But um, that's another thing when you talk about you know, packing a bag and that sort of thing. You know, I always advise people to like create your evidence, man. And if nothing for, if nothing else, like, so we're in New Jersey, it's a one party state. So, you know, only you have to know that you're recording. So when I created my evidence and I was doing all my recording and stuff like that, not only is it for evidence, but it's also to go back and you look at it later and you go, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. This stuff really happened to me. I mean, did you, do you have experience with that or are there any of your, your clients who create their own evidence just so they can listen to it later and say, you know, that wasn't me or they say text messages or whatever it was. Yeah, there um, certainly were receipts to be had, not just by myself, but a lot of my clients and I do advise them to start collecting information. Um, There are a lot of, when you're dealing with the narcissist, they do make big mistakes because they tend to be deluded and confused around their lies. So they are oftentimes peddling a bunch of bullshit. Um, but it, they do slip up. They do make mistakes. So you want to kind of be ready for that grab around like whatever mistakes, because it is really dangerous when you're talking about the safety of your children so like there are conversations i have with people a lot about protecting themselves um and recording um drop-offs and the rest because um and also they they do this thing where they're kind of like um you know peddling uh like a narrative in the text messages that is a false narrative i see this quite a bit you know like they think because they put it in print then it's some sort of like legal binding thing that didn't happen but really there's no reason to engage at drop off or around anything other than an emergency so anytime you see this parent sort of like getting like highly antagonistic in text messaging it's usually that's the one who's the abuser because that kind of thing doesn't happen with normal functioning people. They just want to know the kid's okay. Yeah, what time are you going to be here? Six o'clock. Okay. Like right, this, right. this thing about like, I told you to be here at six o'clock and the last time you did this and we went like, anytime I see these long diatribes, I'm like, okay, there it is. <laughs> well, so you're, you're touching on something very important um, when it comes to children and, and children being gaslit. So there's a game that I play with my children called, I know my truth. Right. So I'll look at my kids. And, and so I have a I have a six year old and a four year old and I'll look at my kids. And so my daughter will be wearing a pink shirt and I'll say, that's a really pretty blue shirt. And she'll be like, Daddy, my my shirt's pink. And I'll be like, no, it's blue. And she goes, no, it's pink. And I said, you know, the truth or my son, you know, like he'll be playing. I'll be he'll be playing basketball. I'll be like, man, you're really good at soccer. And he'll be like, oh, I'm playing basketball. You know the truth, you know. So that's like a game I play with my kids is to try and fight this gaslighting because 
my, I call her the nexorcist, is, uh, you know, peddling, like you said, all this bullshit. What's some advice that you would give to parents of young children that are being gaslit? This is tricky, but I don't believe in perpetuating that the toxic parent is well or cares about them. I think you generally have to tell your children at an early age in some ways that there is no Santa Claus. So you have to almost let them know, like, um, instead of perpetuating it, like, why is daddy late for pickup? Um, why did daddy not come to pick up? Rather than saying something like, I don't know, you know, daddy might have been working or daddy loves you. You kind of say, I don't know. It, it sounds like that's, you know, something is wrong there. I'm not really sure why he did that. You don't want to feed into it because if the narcissistic parent is grooming your children, then in some ways you can give them right to the toxic parent by perpetuating that narrative. Mm -hmm. So you have to almost like pretty early on, you know, not really, you know, letting them kind of think that that is okay. Some of those. I really like that. That's really good because, you know, I always feel like I got to defend myself. Like, you know, like I said, I work in New York City, so I'll come and I'll be like 10 minutes late to pick up the kids, you know, because my train will be late or something. They'll be like, why were you late? I'm like, I'm 10 minutes. You know what I mean? It's like, and it's not their voice. It's her voice in their mouth. You know what I mean? And then like, I got to fight it. And no, that's good advice is don't play, you know, like I wish she would play the fence more. But like I said, she's perpetuating this, this fighting with me. No, that's really good advice. I like that. Yeah, I don't like to um, lie to children. I don't think it does them any good. And what that, was the thing you said about no Santa Claus? You almost—it's almost like when you tell your children there's no Santa Claus, you're you're kind of giving them truth. Um, it's unfortunate truth. It's something that maybe even is sad for them. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I don't think that you can um, play into the toxic parent and their narrative you have to kind of almost tell them early on that something isn't right so if they say something isn't right you don't because it's hard because you love your children so you don't want to upset them right, um, right. but you have to also confirm that something isn't right you know it's funny i have a really good friend uh and, and this is like a big debate that we have all the time and i say no i'm going to keep the magic alive when it comes to santa claus my friend's like tell him tell your kids tell your kids so he's going to be listening to this and be like told you <laughs> well this is only because in 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 the in the um example of the narcissistic parent in this case is santa claus so yeah. that's what you're really doing is you're right, kind of, the yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I think my son was nine and I was like, oh, they're going to start making fun of him. I got to tell him there's no Santa Claus. And then I told him and he was like, why did you tell me that? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> hey, you know, what's funny. So I'm looking over your right shoulder and I see the DSM five is sitting there. And it was funny because right before I got on this call with you, I was watching, uh, well, your videos. And I was also watching a video from uh, Judge Anthony Bompiani. Um, about parental alienation. And I didn't real, realize that parental alienation is recognized in the DSM-5. Is that true? Do you know that? I don't know about that. I never heard yeah. of that. Yeah. So, that, I mean, like I well, said, that's... I also, I also wipe my ass with the DSM-5 because it doesn't do anything to help anyone ever. Um, Why? What do you mean? It's just not a, it's not a good utility in terms of it didn't really nothing for narcissistic abuse for me. I studied it pretty well and it didn't even kind of highlight the nuanced behavior. So really what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank God for TikTok and Instagram and the social media community. Shit. Listen, listen, I mean, we have a long way to go with DSM-5 as it relates to personality disorders. I'll say that. Mm. 
Is there anything in the DSM-5 that you do support in terms of personality disorders? Um, I mean, listen, the checklists are basic, but I just don't think that it highlights the sort of insidious characteristics or playbook style behaviors in terms of the mind control components and the trauma bond. It's nowhere near adequate. It's an onion. Like this whole situation is an onion. And like I said, like, as the defendant here, like nobody wants to, to support me because I'm guilty until proven innocent. And it doesn't matter. Apparently, this is what pisses me off so much is that it doesn't matter how many recordings and text messages and pictures and I've scratches bleeding down my chest and hot scolding oatmeal thrown in my face. It doesn't matter because I didn't I didn't report the abuse. You know what I mean? And like, oh, man, I look back at it and I go, man, like I was so trauma bonded. And and like to your point, how we started this this podcast is that you know you were saying you fell for it you have a degree in psychology and I'm sitting here going you know shit like if I only had left at this time but you know what you know if I only had left when I when this was all going on but I didn't know what I know until I knew what I knew you know yeah yeah I think once you go through it that's when you start to really do the healing and kind of the wake up um, but there's always silver linings, you know, I find uh, even now. So like moving forward, there's always silver linings. And this kind of stuff is a big wake up call for all of us to kind of make a change and continue to talk about it. Yeah. What were some of the besides research and educating yourself and stuff like that? What were some of the immediate steps that you took towards your own personal healing? Um. Well, I always run um, as a way. Exercise of, is awesome. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. the best. I think um, journaling is really helpful for people. I find a lot of my clients that are um, maybe sort of not expressing it don't do well. If they uh, internalize the trauma, then they tend to um, it tends to manifest in different um, physical um, issues, autoimmune issues. So what you really want to do is get it off your chest. So you want to find places where you can tell your story, safe places. You want to journal. You want to find believers. You want to exercise. There's something called sublimation, which is kickboxing or sort of getting out your anger or frustration mm-hmm. uh, in a healthy way. Um, but we don't want to internalize it. Don't try to do this in a vacuum because it's going to take you a lot longer and you're probably going to come out with some different um, manifestations. So Everything is about expression. If you have to talk to your dog, talk to your dog. If you have to talk to yourself, talk to yourself. But you want to kind of express it um, in as many ways as you possibly can. I don't care what it looks like, but get it out. I mean, you just even if it's just pounding a pillow, screaming into a pillow, you really want to get it out because it's um, otherwise it sort of eats away at you, the toxicity. Yeah. You know, you know, what was good for me is that. um, and I got this this advice recently from someone. Um, he was going through a divorce. Don't know if it was with a narcissist, but I was saying to him, you know, like, how you doing or whatever. And the guy said, this isn't for everybody. This advice is not for everybody. So fair warning. But um, he said a lot of times he goes, I try and distract myself. And he's like, I try and get out and I try to go for a walk. I try and do this and I do that. He goes, and it does work for a little while. He's like, but then I get home and I start crying or I get upset or something. He goes, so what he realized is he goes, I sit there. And I let myself feel it and I let it hurt and I let it burn and I let it sting until it gets to a point where it's like, okay, I'm through it. I didn't die. 
You know what I mean? Like it was super fucking uncomfortable, but I didn't die. I'm still here. And like, now I know what that feels like. And I know, you know, kind of like what that anxiety feels like. And then, you know, he worked his way through it just by sitting there and feeling it. And I think sometimes that's really good for like, you know, cause we try and avoid this, this hurt and anxiety and trauma and everything. And sometimes you have to feel it to get, you have to feel it. What, what do they say? Feel it to get through it or, uh, I think a lot of men specifically need to kind of lean into this emotionality and like yeah. through that stuff. I don't think we do enough to cultivate that um, in our sort of masculine energy people. I think that that's part of maybe why we see more narcissism in men, more narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorder in men, because they may be internalizing things along the way and not really have any avenues to express uh, vulnerabilities, yeah, exactly. et cetera. So that's a whole other systemic conversation. But, you know, in dialectical behavioral therapy, we do a lot with the five senses in terms of coping or reparenting mm. through trauma. So, you know, if you light a candle or listen to music or pet an animal or have an image or um, there are a lot of ways that you can kind of get yourself settled after this kind of trauma. It's really uh, important to um, be kind to yourself and practice a lot of mm. self-love as well. Yeah, that's really super grounding, you know, and like, and I've, I've shared that many times, like my, my thing now is to like date myself, you know what I mean? Like go out and go to the restaurants I, you know, wanted to take her to, or go lay in Central Park by myself, or just like, be me, do what I enjoy, do all the things that they precluded me from doing before, and like, invest all that love you were giving to them to yourself now. Yeah, you have to practice self-love, it's so important, everyone should do that. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, Vanessa, this has been an, been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for doing this with us. Um, we're coming to the end of the hour. Is there anything you want to leave in terms of like a final thought in terms of healing or how to get through it or educating yourself, how to get out? What are your final thoughts? I just want to say that I believe you. Um, I want to say that to all the listeners if they're going through this. Um, I also just want to offer up that you can find me on Instagram at Vanessa Riser LCSW um, or teletherapist.net. Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this. Keep raising the awareness that you're doing, because when I heard about that run, I was like, no shit, that's really fucking cool. And there was all these people who came out to support her. And I was like, it was almost like a like a 12 step meeting for like narcissism. You know what I mean? Like we all came together. It was like, holy shit. Like there's people here listening to podcasts. There's people here I've never met. And I was like, this is really cool. And everybody's in wedding dresses and I'm standing there in the suit that I wore to my wedding. It was such a cool experience. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for bringing it. Thank you for coming. Yeah, that was awesome. All right, everybody. So you can follow Vanessa on Instagram. uh, And uh, until next time, everybody.